many of the divisions and the idea and the concept that we've been wrestling through throughout 1 Corinthians and what is going on in, in Corinth in many ways comes to a head right here. All the trials and, and struggles that go on in churches today in regards to being divided. A lot of churches having issues in division. And the issues that come along with that are very much tied in with this chapter. And in chapter 12, remember last week we talked about very different gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each individual. And that one part of the body can't say to the other, we don't need you. And another part of the body can't say, well, I'm not needed in the church. You cannot make that statement. No member in the church, no Christian can say, well, I'm not worthy. I don't, because my gifts are not like... Um, Garland or like Richards or like Brother Charlie's or, or, or Dale and some of the other ladies in here, you don't then turn around and say, I can't, do, I, I can't do what they do, so I don't belong in the church. And Paul says by the Holy Spirit, that's wrong. On the other hand, you often have some people who will come into the church and say, well, you don't belong here because you don't have this ability. You don't fit in. And again, the scriptures teach that we cannot, we can't do that. And what Paul comes to in the point there in chapter 12 is right here in chapter 13 in these 13 verses. And the point is love. He says, what you've gotten away from is the greater gifts. In the church there, some of them are speaking in different languages and various tongues. And they're putting that up as making them more spiritual than others. There are churches that try to do that today. And Paul says tongues are at the bottom. What you should want to do is to prophesy, to teach the gospel, and to teach the truth, and that's what should be happening in the assembly. And he says, besides these gifts, you're missing all of it, because no matter what your abilities are, if you don't do it from love, it really doesn't matter. So a Christian must love no matter one's gifts. You know, we love one another, and we need to love ourselves. We know our limitations. And the reason why we would want to love ourselves is because God loves us. And I think that's a very important thing for us to think about. Because a lot of people's heads, a lot of our thinking is, God's not going to love me unless I do this. Is that how salvation works in the Bible? Like God's not going to save me uh, unless I am doing all these works. No, he saves us by his own grace because we believe, because that faith has caused us to repent and we are obedient to Christ in baptism. Even in baptism, you don't baptize yourself. Somebody else baptizes you. It's God who does the work and raises you back up. He's doing the work. And so there's no point in this where we can claim ourselves higher and have more priority or value than another. And furthermore, as far as our love, God loves us. He made us in His image, so He cares about us. We're very important to Him. He sent Jesus to die for us. Here Jesus comes, the exact imprint of God. He comes as the Holy One and lives the perfect life. God could have said right then, you know what, I'm just going to save Jesus. The rest of you are doomed and condemned. Then that's not what He does. He, he cares about us. And He loves everybody and wants all to be saved. So we want to be very careful with that. And if churches today would have this mentality and thinking in regards to our abilities, we wouldn't have a lot of the issues we have today. So Paul makes this point. He says, whatever your, the gifts you might have or whatever good works you might do, if you don't have love, it is nothing. Listen to what Paul says, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
Sometimes my kids get a hold of something and they will, if it's a button or some kind in the house, and they'll hit it over and over again and it annoys me. Um, and, and that's what we, we become. We become very annoying when we repeat and we do things and we, we act in a way without love. And you can come into the church and you can do a lot of different things. And if you don't do it out of love, it's definitely wrong. So here they are coming into the church and they're using these gifts of tongues, which are meant for evangelism, and they're misusing them. And he says here, even if you have tongues of men or of angels. Now, do the angels have tongues? Evidently. I don't think that was part of their gifts here. They're not communicating with angels. When we get into 1 Corinthians 14, the blessing of speaking in different languages was to share the gospel. Let's keep reading here. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith, if you remember last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first three gifts that are mentioned there are the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, and the gift of faith. And probably the hardest ones to understand. How does the Holy Spirit give us wisdom? Well, here you have it in prophetic powers to be able to speak forth and preach. How does He give us knowledge? Well, to understand mysteries and all knowledge, to understand Scripture. And all faith so as to remove mountains. We need those in the church who have that kind of focus and encouragement and faith and say no matter what's going on, this is what we're going to do. We have an encouragement that in, in the face of persecution and even death, that those things are not going to intimidate us. He says if you have all those things, if those things have been given to you as gifts and abilities, and he says, but have not love, I, he says, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And a lot of people think that way today, whereas if I do so much, if I'm successful in business and I have a, a great income and I'm able to give all that away or give much of that away, then certainly God has to save me because I'm a good person. But that's, again, not how salvation works. He says, if I give all it away, even if I give my own life to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. But this is what they've been using to divide the church over, arguing over who's got the greater gifts, who's got the greater abilities, who has the priority and the preeminence in the church. And he says, none of this matters because you're not acting out of love. And if we understood love, then, and we applied it right, there would not be those divisions. So spiritual gifts, they become nothing without love. Because love is the more excellent way, as Paul is going to show us here. The church, again, is divided because it lacks love. Every time I've seen division and strife within a congregation, there's strife there because someone has acted rudely. Someone else is irritated. Another person is impatient. One other one, one speaks in hatred and speaks out insults to another. Instead of coming to the other and saying, listen, I strongly disagree. Can we look at the Bible together? Can we discuss this a little bit further? That's oftentimes not what happens. And I've seen this and you know i've been a part of this and i've seen both sides argue with each other and talk about each other behind each other's back and those are things that should never happen in the church so paul then does this he goes on and he gives this famous statement it's often read in weddings the definition of love first corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter if you want to read more about love you can go to the love book which is first john but the love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. Well, when you start thinking about what Paul is saying right here, he's not saying, and certainly this applies to marriage, and it applies to home, and it applies to friendships. You know what this passage applies to? He's, he's showing what this church is doing that is not love and what it should be doing that is love. 
What's going to keep them together? What's going to keep them united? And this is what we see here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Notice these. There are four positive qualities here of love that are noted. I'm sorry, six. And then there are eight negative. Let's look at those. Love is patient and kind. What's going on in the church? Are they patient and kind to one another? No, they're not. We're about to see that. He says, but love is patient and kind. It's enduring. It endures great heat. The word patient here is the Greek word macro, meaning great, thumia, as in thermia, great heat. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. That's what they're doing. They're boasting in, in their gifts and abilities, saying one of them is not needed in the congregation or some are not needed. He says it, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And that's often what happens in, in a congregation that it's divided. It insists on its own way, and that's not love. Some people might come into the church and judge it and say, you know what, they don't do the things the way that I want it to be done. And you hear the lack of love oftentimes in the way that they speak. It says it is not irritable or resentful. I remember taking my um, graduate counseling course, and the number one problem that counselors say in, among Christians and in the church is, it's resentfulness. Resentfulness. It said most people that come into their office and are struggling with something, having issues in their life, feeling stressed, is because they have resentment towards somebody else. Oftentimes manifesting itself in hatred. They're irritated. And so love is not irritable or resentful. It is not rejoice at wrongdoing. You hear that a lot in politics. One side finds out some Republican or some Democrat is corrupt and has done something wrong, and the other side says, see? And it's like they begin to rejoice over this. It's not a good thing. And when things happen with that in a congregation, it's a sad thing to be rejoicing over wrongdoing. It's a sad thing in a marriage if a husband and a wife argue with one another, and then one of them does something wrong and say, see, you're the problem. Look what you've done. You see, you see the irritableness that's come out there. You see resentfulness. You see arrogance and rudeness in that. You see boasting and envy, envy in it. And it's lacking love. He says this, but love does this. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth, with truth. Because we want the truth to be known. And then he says this. Look at these positive descriptions of love. Love bears all things. Believes all things. Meaning that we believe these things together. This is what we hold together. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And there's three things that stand out there that's going to come up in verse 13. You see love, love bears all things. You see belief, the faith, and you see hope. So faith, hope, and love are there present in these descriptions of positive qualities of love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things together, endures all things. Love never ends. And then we take this picture of love and you apply it to God and our God who is love. 1 John 4 and verse 8, and you can go deeper in your thoughts on it. This passage right here, we can take it on a surface level and we can dig into it from many different angles. And I encourage you, if you have a software or app on your phone like Blue Letter Bible, Look at these Greek words and look at the definitions for them. They'll help you to further understand them. Look, look at these words and how they're used in different verses in the Bible. 
All right, so this message to the church is pretty clear. You have division in the congregation. It seems like it's breaking apart. It's having struggles. The first approach is to love one another. Teach the truth. That's what love does. So we want to restore love, restore unity. That's what Paul is teaching throughout 1 Corinthians. Stop dividing over these matters. So what must a Christian observe about love? And I think I might have already noted all these. I'm going to go through them real quick. The, the factions in the church at Corinth were impatient, jealous, boastful, arrogant, and rude. The divisive, in, divisive insist on their own way. We see the church needs these things. Here are those six uh, positive qualities of love, patience, kindness, rejoicing for truth, love, hope, and faith to endure. And then the qualities apply to all parts of the Christian life. And so we definitely want to apply this to the church, but it also applies to the home and applies to all of our relationships, our, friends, our friendships, our relationships in the workplace. This, this quality of love must be demonstrated in us as Christians. Because it's a powerful statement, and what we've read right here, you know, this chapter, again, is often called the love chapter. Uh, and there's much, again, for us to dig into this. All right, let's continue reading. Look at verses 8 through 12 here. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Paul says, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So notice these are those gifts that they're boasting about before. And he's saying they're all going to come to an end. They're going to cease. But you know what's going to keep on going? Love is going to keep on going. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, nobody has all the knowledge in the state of using these gifts. There's nobody who has the gift of prophecy who does all of it. Or who speaks in... Um, and every part of knowledge in regards to the gospel. At least not yet. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It says, but when the perfect comes, when the complete comes, the Greek word for perfect there, teleos, means complete, the partial will pass away. What partial is going to pass away? Think about that. What's he talking about? He says, prophesy and knowing a part, that's going to pass away because something complete is coming. And why and when we believe this occurs is very important in the church today, and we'll comment on that in a second. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so the contrast is this partial knowledge, this partial prophecy, it's going to come uh, to cease at the time when the complete comes, when full knowledge comes. And then he talks about this being a period of maturity. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, that the leadership in the church is to help the church and help all Christians to become mature now in this age, in the church age. Now, a lot of people will say when this is going to happen, when the complete comes, that they believe that this is talking about the coming of Christ. And I can see why they might think that. But I think the more that we pay attention to these details in the scriptures in the New Testament, we're going to see that the completion of these things should have taken place in the first century. In other words, when they didn't have the New Testament, it had to be revealed. So they received revelation from God. They had the ability and the knowledge given to them by the Holy Spirit. 
and they're able to write and produce the scriptures, the eight named writers of the New Testament, to put all 27 books together for our edification and knowledge, which would mean and imply that these gifts have ceased. That would mean that we have gone from a state of childhood to maturity. We've gone from dimly looking in a mirror. You ever gone into your bathroom when you've had hot water running and you can't see very clearly in the mirror? Uh, we want to see clearly, and so you would clean that. And of course, back then, they would not um, think of a mirror as something that's clear, not like our mirrors today. Ours is, our mirrors are um, new technology for them. But they want to see face-to-face. That offers the clarity there. And oftentimes, like here in 1 Corinthians, it's also in 2 Corinthians, and it's also in the book of James, the Word of God is described as a mirror. We look into the mirror to see a reflection of how and who we should be. And so he says there's coming a time when clarity is going to exist. And I can see why some would say, well, when Christ comes, then we'll know fully. Then we won't think as a child anymore. Now we'll see face to face. Now knowledge will have its completion. I want you to think about this a little bit further. The partial gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will cease. In other words, he's telling this church, don't rely on them. What you need to be relying on is love. Faith, hope, and love. He says, because these partial gifts will cease when the completion of knowledge comes. Not when sin comes, but when the completion of knowledge and prophecy comes, when full knowledge comes. And the reason I believe this is accomplished in Scripture is because the Bible tells us a lot about this. For instance, in John chapter 16, Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to guide you into some truth. A few points about truth. Partial knowledge. No, he says all truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's telling that to the apostles as they are going to preach that message to all the world to have an understanding of what is right. You go over to Daniel chapter 9, you see a prophecy in the time of coming of Christ and that uh, there's definitely a period of cease of, of visions and prophecy and knowledge. Now, like I mentioned last week, I'd be very careful in arguing with somebody over the definition of miracles and when they cease. What I'm saying here is that these gifts of the Holy Spirit and miracles done through the hands of men will cease. God doing amazing, mighty, and wonderful things will never cease. In fact, when Christ comes back, that's going to be a wonderful event. When Christ ascends from the heavens, when there's a resurrection of the dead, when we're caught up to be with Him in the heavens, all of that is a miraculous, supernatural, wonderful event, a part of um, God's recreation and restoration of what is right. Another comment here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, tells us that every scripture is God's breath and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped, In fact, the scripture goes on to say, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's not a teaching, there's not a good work in which the scriptures do not teach us. So we do have a completion of knowledge that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and prophets in the scriptures. And therefore, that's why I see this completion as being the completion of God's revelation and knowledge. When we see that, why in the world would the church at Corinth then start boasting? They have no grounds for boasting anymore. No reason to be arrogant and rude to one another. No reason to exclude others. You remember in 1 Corinthians 11, they weren't even waiting to take the Lord's Supper together. That's what they were doing. They were excluding. And there was no act of love in that. So Paul takes this point in this section 
And I know the division of the chapter is put there by man. And this section of 13 ties right on to chapter 12. It says, here's the gifts. It's all for the common good, for edification, for building up the church. And look what you've done. You've done in this, what you've done in this division is because of your lack of love. It's the Apostle Paul, he exhorted the congregation again not to rely on their partial gifts because the complete will come. Before we finish tonight, I want you to listen and look at these last two verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Paul concludes his thought here. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These other things are going to pass away, but faith, hope, and love. That's what we read about in the scriptures as a primary focus, motivating us as Christians and certainly encouraging our unity. He says, these threes, but the greatest of these is love. We want to see good things happen in the church. We want to see the, the truth be spread. We want to see unity within the body. It takes love. In the very next verse, again, because the division of the chapters are from man and not from God, chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, pursue love. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And as we get into chapter 14, we're going to see the emphasis put on the assembly, that the purpose of the assembly is not just for worship. It's also for the edification of the church and God's word. And chapter 14 emphasizes that in all 40 verses. There needs to be teaching of the truth in the body of Christ. The very idea that a group of people would get together and not edify one another and rather belittle one another and make a show out of what they can do, Paul very much teaches against. He says that's not a part of love. So tonight I hope that we continue to hold this basis and what we believe and the way that we do the things that we do, that we hold to love, understanding the blessings that come from it and how it helps the church. Christians seek the best gifts that build up the church, like speaking the truth from God. And I hope tonight we never get away from that. Congregations that do will be divided. This evening, if you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. To look at the love of God and how he sent Christ to die for you. In this chapter, you have a warning from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapters 9 through 11. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then Paul gives a whole list here of examples of sins of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And the only time in which the Bible talks about being washed in Jesus' name is when you are baptized into his death, united with him, your sins are all washed away. Acts 22 and verse 16. Tonight, if you need to obey the gospel, you need prayers and encouragement, we encourage you to do so. We encourage you to come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.